to the Family Medicine Podcast. We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies within the field of family medicine and primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tanning. And we are back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again. This is episode five of the Family Medicine Podcast. This one is with Dr. Victor Doyle, a family physician uh, who just retired uh, here in Denver. And we'll get to that interview in just a moment. First, I just want to thank everybody for submitting questions to the email address, um, which is familymedicinepodcast at gmail.com. And people have been submitting questions that they want to hear brought up or topics that they want to uh, hear discussed on the podcast by Family Docs. Uh, I've also been getting some referrals that way for uh, family physicians that people think should be or would like to be on the podcast. So that's a great way to reach out. So just a reminder, Family Medicine Podcast at gmail.com. Submit your questions and, and any other thoughts you have. This episode was a great one. I uh, really enjoyed talking to Dr. Doyle. Um, he's actually the father of a classmate of mine, Jake Doyle. So we dropped his name a couple of times. So Jake, thank you for introducing me to your father. It was a great talk we had. We talked about so many things. Uh, naturally, his upbringing and his journey. Uh, he had a kind of a unique one with... Um, uh, he actually had a, his father was a family physician and he talked at length about uh, not only growing up and, and riding along with him, but also uh, then growing up to be uh, in joint practice with him and, and joined his, uh, his family practice uh, right out of residency. So that's kind of a beautiful story. Another topic that we got into that is kind of unique uh, to this episode, at least so far, is we talked to a little bit about the business of medicine and he kind of walked me through his journey of owning a, a small practice and then getting bought out little by little um, and the realities of the economics of family medicine. So I don't have a whole lot else to say other than uh, I think you guys will enjoy this conversation I had with Dr. Doyle. Um, I know I enjoyed talking to him and I, I really enjoyed all uh, these interviews or really they're just conversations um, that I have with family physicians. So I hope to be bringing you more of them in the future. But as of now, I hope everybody enjoys my conversation with Dr. Victor Doyle. So, Alrighty. Dr. Doyle, thank you for being here with me and uh, being on the podcast. You're welcome. I'm uh, looking forward to our time together. Yeah, me too. Um, so I'd like to have a physician start off by just telling a little bit about themselves and where you grew up and how you grew up and okay. maybe your first interest in medicine. Um, okay. Well, I grew up here in Denver. Um, I'm married. I've been married for 38 years and have four children just the best part of the journey has been the marriage and the kids by far. And 
Our oldest, Chris, is 34, Matt's 33, Jen is 29, and Jake's 27 next month. So, Oh, wow. So you know. we know each other through Jake Doyle. Correct. Yeah. Your son. Your, I didn't know he was the baby of the family, though. Yeah, yeah. he's the youngest of the four. And and uh, he's a second-year student here at Rocky Vista as well. And uh, he uh, has enjoyed his journey as well and just thinks medicine is just his calling is just the way he wants to, you know, move forward in life, which I think is, is good. Yeah. That's great. I, I don't want to make the whole podcast about Jake, although I probably could, (laughs) but he, he does, uh, exhibit a a joy about himself here that is pretty, pretty obvious even by, uh, from a passerby. Yeah, I agree. He, he, he just really has found his niche and is happy and wakes up Every day, you know, glad that he's doing what he's doing. And, you know, what would you ask for more, right? So, you can. You know, yeah, so. Okay, so, so and so you grew up in Denver. Yep, grew up in Denver. I was uh, one of nine children. Wow. And uh, number seven of nine. Mm-hmm. And my uh, dad was a family physician here in town. He actually grew up in Denver as well and went to Creighton University for med school and then came back, uh, interned at St. Anthony's Hospital here in in town in 1954 and set up practice uh, after his internship year and was a general practitioner and then uh, grandfathered into family medicine, took the boards and became a family physician. And uh, there has been a Dr. Doyle in the Southwest Bear Valley neighborhood from 1954 to when I retired last year of 2018. So that's incredible. Yeah, it was unique, I think, to some degree. Yeah, definitely. So, um, especially when you consider all the eras that medicine has gone oh, yeah. through from f- 1954 yeah. to to now. Yeah, I mean, dad dad started in '54 and and uh, was trained to do his uh, you know simple surgeries, did his own tonsillectomies and hernia repairs, and you know delivered babies, did the whole scope of family medicine. That's for sure. And the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and he retired in '98 at age 70. So he was, you know, that was his calling. It was really a calling for him. Yeah. So the scope of family medicine, I guess I'm taking that it it has shrunk since then. Big time. Yeah. And, and not, not necessarily a bad thing. Right. It's just the evolution of, of the scope of practice as well as the uh, technology and the knowledge base of where he started to where I started to where. I'm now retired and passing it on to you and Jake to see, you know, what you guys will, will experience. Sure. It's you know? definitely headed for a lot of changes yeah. in the near to, to distant future. Yeah, I agree. And, and rightfully so. It's the evolution, right? If, 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 if you're not changing, you're dying. Right. You know, so um, I think it's, it's different, good and bad. It's all your perspective and... Some of the things that, you know, we can talk about is from my experience or perspective, but it could be also from ignorance because I don't know of anything different. Right. And so, you know, for folks who are listening, they have to keep that in mind that this is my perspective or my experience, and it certainly couldn't be the the big picture, too, you know, and that's really important to, I think, understand. Definitely. So, and I do want to hear more about your experience. I, I'm kind of curious what it was like growing up with a... Family doc, um, as your father, I, I think mm-hmm. you mentioned that you yeah. um, 
went on house calls with him. Oh yeah, we we you know dad. That's how you spent time with dad. And so, right. you know, ha- raising nine kids, he was he was gone a lot because that's what uh, you do when you have nine kids, right? right. And so, you know, he'd be out the door by six, and he would round at three different hospitals right here in the in town, and then be at the office, and then make rounds or deliver babies in the evening. And, you know, so the way that you got to spend time with dad, per se, was uh, going on house calls mm-hmm. you know, or going to the hospital where he made rounds and you'd stayed in the doctor's lounge and waited until he finished and whatnot. And, you know, it's just the way that we grew up. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, pulling weeds in front of his office and washing walls and examining. Putting you to work. So, yeah. you know, medicine was not... Uh, for me, a very strong draw until actually uh, after after college. I mean, uh, because medicine to me was long hours and pulling weeds and washing walls. Right. So you know. Right. Uh, so was he? Was your father? You know, on these rounds, taking uh, you as as a young boy, saying, "Look at this and watch what I'm doing here," and trying to teach nope. the art, or you were just along for the ride? Yeah, I was along for the ride, and it was just being able to spend time with him. While then, he would go to, a, you know, inside the house, you'd stay in the car, or mm-hmm. you know, he would go to the, in the patient's room, and you'd stay at either in the doctor's lounge or the nurse's station per se, and then he, mm-hmm. he'd pick you up after after the fact, and of course, then go to breakfast or. Uh, get some snack or treat after after the fact, you know. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, he was in practice with uh, another doc, his, uh, Chris Morris, and they were partners till 1998, from 54 to 1998. And it was a two-man practice until I joined in uh, 1993. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, but, it, you know, my exposure growing up with medicine was not, you know, enthralled with medicine it wasn't until after after college per se yeah and so you were so a um oh i'm gonna get this wrong an english major no oh, I history was a, yeah history, history. so I, that's that's fine <laughs> right? i graduated the summer of 1979 with uh, from university of northern colorado with a history in uh, secondary education a history and became a, was a u.s history teacher social studies teacher and in 1979, the summer, uh, there weren't very many openings because the school had already, schools had already hired. Okay. And so I had an aunt who actually was a nun who worked up in Tacoma, Washington at a uh, adolescent treatment center, similar to like uh, Boys Town maybe idea, you know, okay. the yeah. uh, residential treatment center. And then she had a satellite uh, house that she had seven uh, abused teenage girls that needed a house parent. So I didn't have any job prospects in Colorado. So I went up to Whidbey Island, which is an hour north of Seattle, and worked as a house parent for a year. Wow, that uh, sounds so. like an intense job. Or well, it was. It learned a lot. I mean, learned a lot about communication and learned a lot about. Uh, family dynamics, learned a lot about, you know, people don't always think the way that you do. Right. Um, you know, which is always surprising. Learned about facts that kids or people's behaviors don't necessarily uh, are directed towards you. I mean, kids, the kids would act out, and it was because of what they were going through, but they'd act out in, you know, temper tantrums about 
you know, what we were doing as house parents and while it was directed at us, it really wasn't about us, which served me well in medicine that, you know, fear, anger, uh, frustration of patients, that it's really not about me. It's about their, their situation or their diagnosis per se sometimes. So again, valuable lessons. Um, so then after that came home, uh, and uh, found a job as a s uh, social studies teacher out in Brush, Colorado, which is on the eastern plains of Colorado by Fort Morgan, and was a history teacher and a football coach um, for the Brush Beat Diggers. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> so, so you did that, and then where was the inspiration yeah. to go uh, finish your, your um, coursework, or pre-med coursework? Yeah. Well, two, th two things happened. And so you got to remember, this was 1980 to 83 when I was in Brush. Mm -hmm. And so um, girls had home economics and boys went to shop class, right? Yeah. And so in the social studies department, there was a class that I was uh, teaching called Family Living. It was to seniors in high school about, okay, guys are... What, what's their next step after graduating high school? And remember, these are farm kids, ranch kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you fill out a job application? How do you apply for a job? And then it was about, well, you know, getting married. And so uh, part of the curriculum was I had to, I had to teach about um, uh, birth control and fertility. And, well, of course, being history teacher I did right, <laughs> I a had, strong background I in had that. no <laughs> idea what I was so I had to go home and study it before I taught it and so I learned about you know the physiology and pharmacology of uh, birth control pills and how that worked and I kind of got interested okay this is you know this is kind of interesting and cool and um, so that kind of sp sparked my interest and then the and then the really defining de defining uh, experience was that my wife, Cindy, uh, was pregnant with our firstborn and had an emergency C-section down in Denver. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the very first surgery that I was able to uh, observe mm -hmm. and be a, uh, see. And just the care of the obstetrician who took care of Cindy and then the neonatologist who took care of our son, he, he died, ended up dying about three days later. Oh, no. um, just the intensity and the care and compassion of medicine, it was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And so I was able to get a leave of absence from my uh, teaching job and uh, decided to go back and try to get into med school. And so I spent three years at Creighton University because that's where dad went. Mm -hmm. My younger brother, Tom, who's a cardiologist as well now, was going there. My had a brother-in-law who was a Creighton grad as well and a physician. So that's where the family went if you're going to be a doc. And so I did my pre-med at Creighton, uh, got waitlisted at Creighton uh, for uh, med school, and but got into three DO schools, uh, Des Moines and Kansas City and Kirksville, and uh, ended up in Des Moines and uh, graduated med school in 90 and then came back and uh, did family medicine uh, residency at Mercy Hospital, which was associated with St. Anthony's Hospital Centura Health right. um, uh, from 90 to 93, and then joined my dad's practice in 93. So that's kind of the journey. And the spark of medicine, it was like, okay, it was a defining life experience that said, this is what, yeah, this is what I was going to do. 
Yeah, wow. It sounds like um, that was a, a harrowing experience or at least a, a very difficult one to go through. Um, yeah, best and it, worst. Yeah. You know, right. So, But it ultimately led you on your path to, to the whole rest of your life. Correct. And it's been a great journey. Wow. Um, so I wanted to ask more about your residency. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if you can tell me as much about it as possible or what it was like. Um, well, that I'm very interested, um, not just in um, the, what the scope of it at, was at the time and what you were doing, what a day-to-day was like, but uh, also if you think it's changed much since then. Well, I hope it has. You know, I think, yeah. again, it should, and it has. Uh, Mercy was a community hospital. It had uh, 24 family uh, practice residents. Uh, Mercy was located by city uh, park in downtown Denver. Yep. And uh, uh, then eventually the program was taken over by St. Anthony's uh, Hospital, and now it, it's at St. Anthony's North. Mm-hmm. But we were the only residents in the community hospital. So it was a community based uh, urban program, but we learned, you know, pretty much the scope of family medicine from, you know, delivering babies and. C-sections to surgery to rounding on and admitting patients uh, through the ice into the ICU on the floor. Mm-hmm. So it's a full breadth and scope of family medicine. Um, I think in today's world, obviously, if that's where your, your interests are, then you probably probably are going to be pretty much a rural type of track to experience. I think the full scope of of family medicine, yeah. um, you know, in the urban area, the metropolitan area, when I came out of the residency, yeah, I was admitting people and being the, uh, to the ICU and being the, the attending with calling, of course, in a specialist to help with the cases. And I was delivering babies and did the whole, again, scope. But as, as the world turns in Denver metropolitan area, you know, the scope became too much from a either you know prof- or personal aspect, but also uh, liability aspects. You know, Doctor Doyle, you deliver five de- five babies a, a month, per se, where the obstetrician down the street delivers twenty. Why, why are you know yeah. why are you doing that? Right. So I get it. Yeah, and so that was talking about a family med- medicine residency in an urban setting. Um, and you kind of started to compare it to what it might be in a more rural setting where you're doing almost everything that you could possibly do. Um, but you were doing almost everything in the urban setting where you don't think it's like that anymore. Well, I don't think so. I mean, again, I, I might be speaking out of ignorance because, again, that residency, my residency experience was 90 to 93. Mm-hmm. But just when we take a look at family physicians within the metro uh, area, you know, how many are really admitting people to the hospital versus to the hospitalist or delivering babies even. I mean, it's a rare, rare uh, family physician, I think, that is doing that uh, in today's metropolitan area where, you know, uh, I have a, my niece's uh, husband trained at Greeley, which is a rural track. And he, they live in Delta, Colorado, which is on the western slope. And he, mm-hmm. he did the, 
the full practice of scope of family medicine where we're trained per se. So um, I think it's just where you choose to live and limiting your scope of practice to some degree, but it also frees you up too. I mean, part of the reason why I chose to, to uh, scale back, so to speak, was my daughter Jenna when she was about eight or nine I overheard her say to my wife, Cindy, she said, Mommy, why is Daddy always grumpy when he's carrying that beeper? You know, and so it was a banner of where Dad was doing the full scope, and he loved it. It it is, versus, and how he raised his family versus raising mine. It was a different uh, dynamic, for sure. And so I chose to... uh, cut back, so to speak, from a hospital practice to certainly a office-based practice where life got a lot easier in regards to just working in the office. Really? So you didn't uh, deliver babies ever since residency? Is it, oh, I did for about the first seven years oh, of okay. practice. And okay. then uh, uh, by then I had had two partners as well. Mm-hmm. Dad retired in 98, then I brought in two other guys to, out of the same residency and we were delivering babies. But again, it, from an economic standpoint and the time commitment to the hospital versus being able to see so many more patients within the office, it just became economically as well as lifestyle way to say, guys, let's let's just focus on the office versus the hospital. Yeah. And with people becoming sicker and sicker in in the hospital, because of all the good things that we do on uh, in the office, that uh, we needed more and more specialty care anyway uh, within the hospital setting. And again, when you're seeing 300 to maybe 350 people a month in the office versus seeing two or three people a week in the hospital setting, the skills ch- the skill set changed. Right. You know, and so, and the knowledge base as well. I mean, it's a whole different knowledge base within the hospital versus office-based medicine. So I see that as good in some respects, but miss the collegiality of talking and working with the specialists, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the continuity of care of actually being in the hospital, seeing my, the patient, my patient per se. Right. So I, I miss that. Right. Um, so how was your practice set up? Well, I again, joined dad. And so in 93, and so again, we were doing full scope family medicine and, and taking, uh, hospital and office, uh, uh, practice. And it was a, it was a partnership. It was, uh, actually myself and my dad and his partner, uh, Dr. Morris, that we just basically split the pot three different ways as far as how many people were seen and the overhead, um, and then wh- whatever was left over uh, was uh, our salary. Of course, me being the lowest guy on the totem pole, you right. know, <laughs> and then building up my own practice per se. Um, so it was a three-person practice versus two and oh, by the way, you know, type of right. practice. So. So all three mm-hmm. of you split the patient pool? Well, pretty much. I mean, of course, people would gravitate gravitate to a certain physician. Right. And again, for the way that I built my practice was that um, what I would do is uh, dad, I mean, they were back in the day, you saw patients about every 
10 minutes and a copay was $2 mm-hmm. and or $5 and so you were seeing anywhere from 30 to 40 30 to 40 patient, patients a day and so what I would do is dad would get booked and of course he would run behind because of whatever would happen so I would sneak into another one of his exam room and introduce myself and say well dad's running away late would you mind if I examine you or took care of you and so that's how I built my practice I just steal my dad's patients nice <laughs> and so and so and he didn't he didn't mind because it was uh, you know his workload was lessened I didn't do that to Dr. Morris obviously okay. but you know dad didn't didn't mind and so that's how I built built my practice up that's that's cool that's so, pretty savvy well and, and he didn't mind so I you yeah. know so yeah no that sounds like a good a good setup yeah so um, in uh, your career, how how um, did OMT fit into your practice? Well, I think it's a great alternative, okay, in regards to helping people. Mercy Hospital, the residency was, that I went to was actually an uh, allopathic or an MD mm-hmm. program. So as a result, um, I started to do OMT, uh, and because I did not have a faculty member who was trained in OMT that became a liability so I wasn't allowed to really practice OMT in the residence because it was MD residency so and then when I got into practice um, I still tried uh, to do some and I think like I said I think it's a great alternative but again economics and the time of trying to do it well uh, just didn't work it just didn't pay in the day, so to speak. I think it, yeah. the reimbursement's much better, and I think it's a good way to approach a patient by far, but skill set-wise was pretty rusty, and then the economics of it, when you're seeing, you know, 30 to 40 patients a day. Yeah, it's almost it's, impossible. It's, it's not, you know, and of course that changed as life went forward. I mean, that was uh, Dr. Morris and my dad's way of practice, but as they retired and myself and my other two partners took over the practice you know we started scheduling every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes and that was kind of our standard and trying to spend more a little bit more time with patients yeah how did that go over um either from a business standpoint i'm assuming it was a beneficial for the patients and probably beneficial for you as a provider but maybe not financially curious about that um well, again, started in in kind of a fee for service type of environment, moving more toward a uh, uh, base of getting um, a certain amount of premium with certain uh, insurance companies that would sign up with you, and if you managed your patients well, then they would give you a bonus, so to speak. And mm-hmm. so, it, it, the dynamics or the economics changed some. Um, and to matter, and that led to the next part of the evolution of the practice was that it went from kind of like a fee for service type of practice, um, insurance dominated to the point where we have one insurance company uh, really be 60% of our practice, that we were taking care of 60% of one insurance company uh, of patients. Mm-hmm. And then the CEO of this one insurance company said, look, we're not going to renew anybody's contract as an individual physician. You have to join a PMG, and PMG stood for primary medical group. So you actually had to join a bigger group to get a contract with 
this one insurance company that happened to own 60% of our business, per se. Wow, okay. So as a result, in 1998, we joined a bigger, uh, larger group, uh, which uh, was called Health First, which then evolved into New West Physicians. Uh, and it was a primary-owned uh, group, that meaning either you being a family physician, internal medicine, and, and to begin with, uh, pediatricians. And it was a big of those docs coming together, forming Health First, and then contracting with the insurance companies throughout the city, which, again, um, led to some decreased autonomy from being just in private practice and setting own hours and whatnot to being part of a bigger group. Right. But you got better... Uh, reimbursement as well as uh, better contracts with the insurance companies because they were contracting with a bigger group of physicians. Right. So they micromanaged you to the level of your, your business hours? Um, not, it, it was still, and you know, this sounds kind of crass, but it was still, you know, eat what you kill. No, it's what you produced. Right. Okay. And so um, uh, it was a matter of still, uh, volume based as far as your salary and whatnot, and you had to pay. Uh, the overhead was more because it was supporting a bigger billing service uh, and uh, contracting services mm -hmm. for folks. Uh, on the other hand, it it certainly took a lot of uh, uh, headaches away that I was not trained with. I mean, when we were in private practice, so to speak, with Dad and Doctor Morris, I had to do my own taxes and do my own payroll and. Uh, and whatnot, and so those type of headaches went away with being part of a bigger group. I mean, when we had our uh, medical assistants in our front office staff, we didn't have you know a set policy. If the person was sick, okay, you're sick, show up when you get when you can, and we'll still pay you. I mean, that's how dad worked. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you did it. Sure. Now, then you see you know, personal time off, PTO, and vacation days accrued. I mean, that's the business world, yeah. so to speak, mm -hmm. which um, I get because there were some employees that were really taking advantage of uh, of us as far as really? time off and, you know, versus sick time, you know. So it, it uh, behooved you to kind of go towards more of a, uh, you know, conventional business setup. Yeah. 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 And and actually and then standard of, of credentials as well. I mean the, there was several employees that we employed during dad's tenure that were because of a goodness of his heart that people didn't have a job so he trained them as his MA as his MA or as phlebotomist. He just trained them. Yeah. And there wasn't any certificate. Sure. Um, you know, it was a family run business. And so um, with the bigger practice, obviously, there were standards of care that were met. So, again, a lot of headaches were taken away, um, and, but also being part of a bigger group, you had to conform to the group uh, philosophy and business practice. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the you know, real big challenges of owning your own business? Well, the biggest one is just 
not being trained in it. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't trained to be a businessman. I was trained right. to be a physician. And but you so, have to learn sometime along the way. Yeah. And it was trial by fire, you know, in lots of ways. And, and, um, so, you know, you learned about self-employment tax and, but on the other hand, I learned about what you could write off your taxes as well. I mean, our, our family vacations were, were around, uh, uh, medical, uh, um, meetings, yeah, yeah, where I could take the family. Well, I had to stay in a hotel room, you sure. know, and so I could write that off the taxes, so to speak, which was good. Well, when you joined the bigger group and it was a corporation of a bigger group, couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so, but that was okay because they were taking care of the payroll. They were taking care of my taxes. I didn't have to worry about taxes. I got, I got a paycheck. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of benefit to not having to worry about the business, the finances of it. See, we've uh, talked about a lot of the uh, aspects of, of joining the uh, larger physicians group, and you talked about um, getting bought out a little bit later. Yeah, what happened is that uh, New West Physicians became a, a clinic-owned uh, uh, corporation or business of 18 different clinics. So we ended up having about 55 to 60 shareholders within the company, and what I found out was unique to our to our group was actually we would do our own studies, um, and then we would uh, each physician would throw in so much amount of money per quarter to um, be in, then be uh, uh, see what that would uh, what that study would be. So, for example, how many patients would you have with a hemoglobin A one C of less or more than nine percent? Mm -hmm. And we would set goals for each other, and then we would actually publish the results of our of each physician. And the top tier physicians would get the kitty, so to speak, of what we threw in. The idea was to simply improve everybody's practice. Yeah. And we, what I found out was people. Yeah, yeah. And what I found out was that was fairly uh, that's not been done through the country. Is that you know you you just didn't do that you didn't publish each other's results per se mm -hmm. and whatnot and so the, what it led to is that uh, our group actually became uh, got an award for uh, a, a national award for recognition of the best small practice group the small practice being the physicians that were under 150 uh, group practice so oh, New okay. West Physicians actually got a, a nationally recognized award for that in 2015, I believe. Well, then that put us on the map for a bigger corporation to look at these guys and say, hey, these guys practice medicine well, efficiently, and then let's, let's look at them. So then we got bought out by a uh, company called Optum. Optum is a subsidiary or a link to United Healthcare. Um, and so New West Physicians, 80% uh, of the biz of the practice or the corporation was bought out by a bigger corporation, so to speak. 80% was? Yeah, so we still own 20% of, of New West Physicians. Okay, um, at the time of the buyout. Correct. And then and so, it was a couple of years later that you retired? Well, actually, it just happened. That, that buyout just happened within the last two years. Okay. And so seeing a bigger fish coming in, seeing it being more of a corporate type of imprint, um, 
losing some autonomy type of idea. Yeah. Uh, Optin wanted you to do, go to their more of their meetings, be introduced to more of their culture, how we do things across the country. Optum is a is a across the country type of corporation, and I thought, you know, after 25 years, uh, that's good. I'm I'm good with that. So, okay. Um, that was part of it. I mean, as far as retiring, I'm 63 now. Yeah. So. And so you mentioned autonomy mm-hmm. as a great thing in family medicine, or something that you were, um, you know, that was important to you, mm-hmm. and that every time you. Uh, got bought out a little bit, a little bit of autonomy went away. Um, is that? Do you think that's something that motivates a lot of people trying to get into family medicine or interested in family medicine? Is the autonomy of it to work in an outpatient, you know, small, um, self-owned s- setting? I would think so. I mean, you know, I my own personal physician uh, is he's still he's doing it just like my dad. Just mm-hmm. you know, he's going it alone and he's. Uh, doing fee for service and contracting individually with insurance companies and God bless him for taking on that extra type of uh, headache, in my opinion, uh, to do it to maintain his autonomy, you know, so there's a trade off. And so, you know, when we, I go visit him once a year just for my annual physical, et cetera, and say, you know, how you doing? And it, it continues to eat away as the time, you know, as the paperwork and the business part of the, of the practice that eats away from what he loves to do or what I love to do. Yeah. You know, if you could keep me in the exam room and just let me problem solve and work with my patients, I'd still be there. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you think else. we can do that as a, as a country or as individual providers? What, if you know you don't have to have a a brilliant uh fix for this i i i'm sure it's multi complex question and um i don't know i really don't is it standardized or medicine or is it government medicine you know i'm not sure that's the way um uh i i don't know how to answer that well all i know is that um it got to be more and more of a burden as far as trying to get a, a test approved or a medicine approved or um, also uh, educating or I don't want to say fighting with patients, but actually confronting patients to say, no, you don't really need that medicine that you saw on the Price is Right, right. commercial, you know, yeah. uh, or no, you don't need the CT scan. Let's do this first or or, or the other, you know, uh, generic medicine is just as good as that brand name medicine that you saw yeah. advertised, you know, and it's challenging. Yeah. Um, are you kind of saying that so much of the forces of society are f- going against you of what you're trying to do as a provider it, in some ways? In some ways. In some ways, it's, it's you know, again, what I think what we're going to see, which I hope we see, is that more and more patients will take responsibility for their own health, mm-hmm. you know, versus depending on the medical industry to fix them. You know, there's got to be a pill or there has to be a technology that's going to fix me. Yeah. And, and that's not really true. I mean, that's what we kind of see as a society or see on TV that there's got to be something that's going to mm-hmm. fix me. Uh, because I can't fix myself. Well, the reality is, is that, you know, who's in charge of who? And right. The, you the know, things the, that people die of right. are 
most of the time preventable right. yeah. heart disease and, and stroke. And well, I was re it's a good point. I was renewing my boards, uh, and uh, it was what two years ago. And one of the presenters at the board review course said 75% of all hospitalizations are caused by two things addiction and obesity, and addiction co including alcohol, drugs, um, and uh, uh, smoking, yep. and obesity. He said 75% of all hospitalizations are directly or indirectly related to those two things, and it's like, those are behaviors. You know, right. it's, not, it's not medicine that fixes that, per se. It helps, Stabilize <laughs> exactly. an emergency, but, but you know, it's when not we talk fix about the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, so... You know, I, I still, I mean, I'm a teacher at heart. Yeah. And I feel like family medicine, uh, being a, the first person that a person, a patient encounters to educate them and to help them and coach them in better preventative uh, lifestyle or preventative medicine is where it's going to be. And I think people are understanding that more and more. Yes, um, and I'm glad you brought that up um, again of your teaching background mm -hmm. and um, of preventive medicine because I wanted to ask um, how did that play a role in your practice, especially when you were, I guess, the difference between when you were spending 10 minutes with a patient and running 40 plus a day or when you scaled it back and were spending 15 to 30 minutes um, per day or sorry, per visit. Yeah. Um, and kind of the evolution of that and how uh, it plays a role in uh, your practice. Oh, I think it's critical, you know, and, and I think uh, the copay, again, part of it's economics as well. When you see patients that were, uh, you know, 30, thir let's say average of 35 people a day, when they're only paying you two bucks or five bucks a day, you're going to solve some pretty simple uh, medical issues or questions, right? Mm -hmm. Now, patients today are spending anywhere from 30 to 50 bucks as a copay mm -hmm. to come see you. So you better not only deliver a diagnosis, but also give them more f for their money, so to speak. I hate to say that that yeah. way, but indeed, no, that makes that, sense. That's, that's part of the game, so to speak, is that, and I get it, and I think it is, is good um, that we are spending more time with patients to try to educate, coach them, uh, with better lifestyle and better choices, um, you know, within the context of primary care. Yeah, and I'm, I'm. It's kind of interesting to me because I got into my interest in medicine came from a little bit of preventive medicine, right. and I realized that it's not really taught a whole lot in oh, medical school. Um, it's mentioned, but not really uh, dwelled on a whole lot. Um, and I don't know, is there any time throughout uh, residency or any other uh, aspect of training where preventive medicine is really stressed and, and educa patient education is really um, trained? Well, I, in my experience, no. Yeah. Do I think it's going to evolve and hopefully come that way? And I'd say yes, because mm -hmm. the conversation is changing. I mean, if you take a look at uh, the impossible whopper, Mm -hmm. Right, the impossible whopper is is plant based, right? Sure. And the publication of calories uh, within all restaurants, for the most part. Well, that's a conversation that's raising the awareness of better health, right? And so the conversation is changing. I think from crisis management, which is basically what I feel 
medicine is to education, which is how do I live better? Mm-hmm. And I think more and more people are becoming more in tuned with how do I live better? Um, you hear the word mindfulness nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, and being mindful of what we're doing versus, again, crisis management. Um, the challenge is, of course, the economics of that. Um, you know, medicine is reimbursed as a physician. You're reimbursed much more uh, or better when you're doing a procedure than if you're coaching or you're teaching about health education. Right. And that's the challenge. Right. Is there, I'm, this is coming from a naive place, but why is that? Well, because procedures are measured. I mean, you can actually see a, an outcome. You can, right. you know, when you're actually talking and counseling a patient, how do you measure that behavior changes? You might be able to be able to measure that over a, uh, years or weeks, but not a definitive procedure. You need a knee replacement. I can do the knee replacement and have you with a new knee within a week, sure. so to speak. Yeah. You know, that's a definitive, defined. Uh, procedure per se. Mm-hmm. So it's still crisis management. How did the person get there that needed a knee replacement? Well, is it really osteoarthritis? Is it arthritis or is it obesity? Is it trauma? You know, there's a lot that, again, is being accessed from a crisis management point of view um, within medicine versus preventative or education. But again, I think we're changing. I hope that we're changing. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Um, did that make sense? Yeah, it did. You know? And I um, I, I want to kind of go in two different directions sure. here because um, I want to ask you about what your thoughts are on the future of medicine and family medicine, just kind of generally, because I can see that you, you mentioned people are interested in, in their own self-improvement and mind, mindfulness. You also talked about how people are um, going through lots of addiction and obesity, and both those, I think, are probably growing in both the sides of that spectrum, I think. And same thing to me with um, just, I guess, the setup and the model of practice of family medicine that obviously corporate medicine is taking over. But then I feel like there's a, a growing kind of grassroots um, uh, movement with a lot of people like your f- personal physician who is just mm-hmm. um, trying to have a small practice, a solo business. Um, so I, for, for me, I want to believe that, oh, the mindfulness aspect and the small solo practice physician aspect of uh, medicine is growing, but I don't know if that's true, if that's going to be the direction we take. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Well, I think it's, it comes to economics, you know, mm-hmm. again, the cost of it. You know, why, is, why do we see corporate uh, big business within medicine? Well, look at the overhead. I mean, if you take a look, I started, my, I started my career writing on a paper chart. I had paper and pencil. Yeah. That was it. Um, and did, by the way, just fine, mm-hmm. you know, with documentation and notes. As long as my, you know, the malpractice insurance uh, auditor could read my handwriting, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Now we've gone to the EMR. Well, there's a lot of overhead involved in maintain one buying mm-hmm. and maintaining an EMR. Yeah. Um, and are we seeing a better? Uh, my 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 question is: Do we see a reduction of of morbidity and mortality 
because of the EMR. And I'm not sure that we have. I haven't seen that study. You know, again, I might be speaking out of uh, ignorance, but mm -hmm. indeed, that's quite a bit of overhead um, to maintain that, to have the tech people. Again, I wasn't trained to uh, have my own EMR. I had to be, you know, learn it, but somebody's got to maintain that. That's a lot of, uh, of overhead. Um, and then you take a look at the cost of medicines, equipment, uh, et cetera, that, that's a big time, big time overhead. That's the, where corporate steps in to help do that, I think, um, uh, versus trying to run a small practice still with pen and paper and the reimbursement of that. I mean, Medicare guidelines has forced, strongly encouraged, let's say, mm -hmm physicians to use an EMR. You get better reimbursement if you have an EMR mm -hmm. versus pen and paper. Um, so it's economics. Right. You know, it's also economics for the patient. So, you know, Americans love a quick fix so we can keep moving. You yeah. know, I don't want to struggle and learn about, you know, mindfulness and taking better care of myself, diet, exercise, you know, versus just give me a pill. Yeah, you know, so I can get keep moving, or there's got to be a technology that that's going to fix me, um, versus me spending the time and energy to to take care of myself. So it's challenging. I think we're like I think we're moving in the right direction, but it's still very challenging. We're still in crisis management mode. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad you brought up uh, the challenging nature of that because I wanted to kind of transition to ask you about. Uh, a challenging case that you may have had. Um, so it doesn't have to be a great story or uh, <laughs> anything specific, but uh, I just wanted to um, see if you had any quick case presentation for us where it was a difficult case in family medicine. Oh, well, there, there, I guess there's, there's, there's two. One was when I first started practice in 93, then fall of 93, I actually had a 24-year-old guy who... Again, admitted to the hospital after he, first of all, he went AMA, and then he came back sicker, and uh, I admitted him to the ICU and whatnot, and uh, brought in a pulmonologist because he had a pneumonia, he just couldn't figure it out the pneumonia, and he kept uh, going downhill, finally brought in the infectious disease doc, and found out the one that he was Navajo, and that actually he had been cleaning out his grandfather's old shed on the reservation down in south uh west colorado and he had and he had hantavirus oh wow and i was like wow read about that never saw it yeah you know? that's straight out of a test question yeah. that we had last week <laughs> it's all right yeah just about yeah. so that was you know one case that ended up he ended up dying um but it was like wow i guess this stuff is really real yeah you know? and and then, you know, another case was before, oh, it was a couple of years ago, 83-year-old guy came in, hadn't been to a doctor for 20 years, and he came in because he couldn't see out of his eye and he's starting to see double. And he ended up having metastatic prostate cancer. Oh, wow. And his, so his presenting symptom was he couldn't see. Well, I got yeah. the CT scan, and he, of course he had a lesion on his uh, optic nerve sent him to the neuro uh, uh, surgeon for a biopsy, and it was metastatic prostate cancer, which, by the way, he's, he's still living when I left. Oh, wow. He did real well. So, I mean, it was, that's the fun part. 
the fun or not fun, challenging part of family medicine. You never know what's going to walk in your door. Yeah, and it never puzzles. felt like work. Right. You know, it, it's very challenging uh, uh, profession, and and I never knew what I'd face that day. And there was never a, a week or a month where I wouldn't go, geez, didn't see that before, or geez, that's interesting how that, f- you know, turned out. So it was it was a great a great career, just a great journey. Wow, cool. Well, what a great yeah. note to go out on. <laughs> I, I appreciate all your stories. I think well, they're, they're really valuable to, yeah. to be able to pick your brain about the business of medicine and, and just all your experiences. Well, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Yeah, all right. So. Well, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. And uh, now we'll turn the mics off and just uh, tell funny stories about Jake. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> thanks again. Hey. Thank you all so much for listening to my conversation with Dr. Doyle. I thought it was so fun and interesting to to be there with him and hear his stories and perspective. And it was just as almost just as fun to uh, listen back to it right now. It also reminded me that as soon as we turned the mics off, we got into it about uh, a million other topics that were uh, fascinating, just kind of continued the conversation, which made me think, oh, why did I end the uh, the recording? Um, and I was actually pretty tempted to uh, heat the mics back up again. So uh, maybe that'll be something I uh, learn from in the future. And that also reminds me that, you know, this is such a learning process for me uh, as, uh, I guess, a broadcaster. Um, and I'm learning to uh, um, do it efficiently and effectively and um, just uh, continuously improve on that. So thank you for being here on my journey uh, um, to learn uh, how to the art of the interview and even just the art of the outro, which I'm doing right now, some would say poorly. Uh, no, but I do appreciate everybody um, giving uh, such largely positive feedback about the podcast and uh, it seems like everybody wants more, and I have a couple other interviews set up with uh, pain specialists, uh, uh, pain specialists within the field of family medicine, uh, a geriatrician, um, so all sorts of fun, interesting, and uh, varied topics coming up. So stay tuned for that, and uh, in the meantime, just thank you so much, um, and uh, enjoy. Tell your friends. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Family Medicine Podcast. Remember to subscribe, follow, like, or whatever you do to show your dignity. Tune in next time. Her uterus was the universe, and it bloomed and birthed the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died though, friends were formed to fight mutual rivals. Man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love, bringing joy into their lives. Boom, they were civilized, went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires and the story's well known. History ticks along like a metronome. And then I came to be, learned to walk, talk, and throw stuff. All grown up, I got a job now and showing up. I'm sleep deprived, I'm misaligned. My appetite is primed to feed the ego almost all the time. And then I met you, lovely and smooth. You quickly removed my modern man's blues. I want to celebrate every breath that I take. 
Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming and I don't wanna wait So baby let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know The universe was my universe but I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden Plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain As I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder Am I the hunted or the hunter? When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said hey baby Instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin Stop, begin Let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch Don't sprint it slow, protect your soul, travel long and far, but make sure to come home, cause the love that's here is what keeps you going, and gives you the power and the freedom to grow, let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress, this life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best, when life gets complex, don't think, just do it first, it was simpler when the uterus was so big, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know, baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna Grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The uterus was my universe. The uterus was my universe. The uterus was my universe. And then I met you. The uterus was my universe. Shine and rain. The uterus was my Walk universe. Walk a mile in my moccasin. The uterus was my universe. Love keeps you going. The uterus was my universe. Make sure to come home. The uterus was my universe. And then I met you. The uterus was my universe. This life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best. When the uterus was my universe. So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna Grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know.